Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by. It's actually sponsored by the Arizona Office of Tourism for the Cactus League Spring Training. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later in this episode. But Raymond, it's official. Our first sponsor of the Gold Cast. Yep, that is a legitimate sponsor. That is not one of the. Uh fictitious companies that we often like to mention or just a fictitious free a random phrase that we've used in place our, our our placeholder sponsors are no more yes our place i i don't like to think of them as fictitious i like to think of them as is it like sometimes the you since we it's like an energy of an the episode the energy of this week's episode is sponsored by this energy or this right. idea this, this spirit the spirit of someone's demise or <laughs> yeah <laughs> and now and now for the for now uh but we have an official sponsor our first sponsor the arizona office of tourism for cactus league spring training we'll be talking all about that about halfway through the episode so stay on the lookout because we will be talking about that very soon. All right, Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know, where can they find us? You can like us at facebook.com slash the goldcast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore goldcast, and you can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the goldcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and comment. That way, we can you can engage your fellow fans, and also us in discussions, all things Bay Area sports and general sports related. You're welcome to partake on Twitter and Instagram. However, the general discussion at large is often found on YouTube. That's right, youtube.com slash the gold cast. Raymond, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Ray Solis and Instagram at Ray Solis one and I am on Instagram at Rudy Solis 3 and Twitter at Rudy Solis 3RD. So concludes another edition of the. No, I'm just kidding. I think that's a joke that only you and I find funny. I have no idea if anyone else finds it funny. <laughs> we, we do it like once a month. All right. So, Raymond, Wildcard Weekend is in the books, it is done. And now. Our next opponent has revealed himself to be none other than the Minnesota Vikings. But we've got an entire wild card weekend to discuss. Lots, lots went down. It was crazy. But we're going to talk about it after the intro. But check it out. Your greatest fanalist in the game, he's here. Your professor of fanalism, he's in the building too. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom! Raymond, let's start with the game that had the most implications for the San Francisco 49ers. Ray, I don't know. I believe you and I were 0 for 4 this weekend on our playoff predictions. We got roasted. We did. However, the the one game I was hoping to be wrong about, I was wrong about. So I was right while being wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is some manipulation like no other. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the, I'm assuming, what was the game in question for you that you wanted to be wrong about? The Patriots game. Yes. You know, I wanted to be wrong about that one too, but the game, the game I kind of really wanted to be wrong about was the Vikings and the Saints. I, I just wanted to feel what the Patriots have, have gotten to feel. I wanted to feel the full advantage of being the number one seed and having to play the lowest seed. I wanted to feel that advantage. And we got it. We definitely got it. The, the Minnesota Vikings upset in, in stunning fashion. They upset the Saints. Final score, 26-20 to 20 in favor of of the Vikings, the Vikings, you know, and they almost squandered this game a couple different times, but they found a way to win in, uh, in overtime. And it was, it was quite the game. No game, no, no playoff game. Raymond in regulation had ever ended at the score of 19 and 19. And somehow the Vikings and saints found a way. So this was the game that I fully expected to be the blowout of Wild Card Weekend. I thought New Orleans was going to come into, into I thought the Vikings were to go into New Orleans and get their asses whooped. That's what I thought. I thought they were just going to get ripped apart, and they did not. They did not. They they the they almost squeaked it away at the very end. New Orleans comes back, but lo and behold, they find a way. To win this game, uh, the the after game, uh, the after game speech that Kirk Cousins gave to the team, he ended it with saying, "You like that? You like that?" And they were all jumping all over him. A very good feel good moment um, for that fan base for that team. The New Orleans Saints. Everyone's been talking about this. If you look at the New Orleans Saints in this decade, it has been. I don't know. My buddy, a good friend of mine, Eladio, he's a diehard Saints fan, and he told me that after the game, he said, I'm dead inside. <laughs> That's what he he sent me a text. It said, I'm dead inside. And so if you I mean if you just if you just look, if you think the, the Minnesota the miracle in the, the miracle in Minnesota when my when the catch to Stefan digs and he goes and he makes a touchdown and then there's the controversial PI call and then there's the catch three. I mean, this fan base has just been demoralized in the playoffs. This was the team that everyone assumed would be facing us in the NFC Championship. I thought it, you thought it, we thought the most likely outcome was New Orleans and San Francisco in the rematch. But instead, we get the Minnesota Vikings for the we get to feel that feeling of the number 1 seed playing the lowest seed. And I thought the one the real nice part about that is that it then made the game between the Seahawks and the Eagles inconsequential because we weren't going to face the winner of either either of those teams we would not be facing next week no matter what. What are your thoughts on this Minnesota St. New Orleans game? Well, if you wanted the road to the playoffs to get a lot easier for the 49ers, it certainly did with the outcome of this game. I think that the Minnesota Vikings are def they're the weakest seed out of this wild card group, NFC wise. And I just was not I just was not interested in a rubber match with Seattle, which by the way could still very much happen. That's very still, much that, in play. That that reality is still in play. But I'm hoping, you know, for hoping for a different outcome 
which we'll talk about later. But to me, it was uh, – I just feel like Drew Brees is a good quarterback, and his interception-touchdown ratio in the playoffs is great, but his win record, not so much. He's 8-8 eight and eight in the playoffs. And to be perfectly honest, the best player on that team in that game was Taysom Hill. The guy who was playing was. Every, every, every single position in addition to the quarterback. It's like, this is what it was like. <laughs> For some reason, Minnesota, every time Taysom Hill comes into the game, they've been doing this ever since they drafted him. Every time he comes into the game, he touches the ball more about 90% of the time. Uh, there's, there's some other times where he's playing tight end and he just blocks, but it's pretty seldom. Other than that, he lines up at wideout. He lines up at tight end. He lines up in the backfield. He lines up at quarterback. He's a jackknife. He's just an insane athlete. He's like what Tim, Tim Tebow, you know, what what the what Tim Tebow could have been. But and it, but it's funny because you know Tim Tebow or Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill comes in and Troy Aikman's like criticize him like this is not the guy you want in this play yes you know for this and and then he throws like a 47 yard bomb to, to put them you know i think it's a, it was a touchdown pass and and then after that drew Brees goes in and he throws the pick before the half he has the fumble that results in the touchdown run at the end of the game like all the sloppy plays were drew Brees. all of the amazing plays were Taysom hill either throwing the ball, running the ball, or catching the ball. And he did all three of those things in that game. He played better than Kamara, who for some reason only had 15 touches. That seems unusual considering how instrumental he is to that to that offense. I just don't get it. I, I don't understand. He, he saw eight targets, or nine targets. He caught eight of them for only 34 yards. He only ran the ball seven times for 21 yards. Latavius Murphy got five carries for 21 yards. It was actually Latavius Murray was more effective, but for some reason didn't see the ball more. And Taysom Hill was the most effective, four carries for 50 yards. And here's the thing. For some reason, again, to, to circle back to my original dumbfoundedness with Minnesota's defense, which ended up winning the game and doing enough to win. But, they could not account for Taysom Hill. So I felt like it's like it's almost as if like when Taysom Hill comes onto the field, there's one of him on each of the wideout positions. There's one of him in, behind the quarterback. He is the quarterback, and he's also lined up as a tight end. It's like there's four or five Taysom Hills lined up, and Minnesota's trying to guess which Taysom Hill is going to get the ball, and then they don't seem to get it right. But the reality is there's only one Taysom Hill, and when he's in there, he's going to get the ball, and they kept missing him. They just kept missing him every time he was in the game. And I'm just like, how can how, – how boneheaded is the defensive coordinator, who I think is Mike Tice, if I'm not mistaken, the former head coach of, uh, I forget, some team, and it didn't work out. And that's, how, that's how uneventful his coaching – his head coaching career was. It was very short-lived. But – it kept blowing my mind, and I kept yelling this out loud. I was like, ball's going to Taysom Hill. Ball's going to Taysom Hill. And they just couldn't stop him. In fact, Harrison Smith, a safety that I really enjoy watching play because he's a five-time Pro Bowler, arguably a six. I think he got snubbed in 2014. He had five picks, 94, 90-something tackles. He was amazing. But Taysom, or 
Harrison Smith on that on that touchdown catch that Taysom Hill gets, he thinks for some reason he thinks that it's going to be like a a running play or something like that, and ends up like watching the quarterback and he loses Taysom Hill, and then Taysom Hill burns him and catches the ball. So it it, it ends it ended up a surprising win to a team that I thought you know wasn't going to win, but the better team won. Vikings made more plays. Kirk Cousins was okay, but then at the very end when you need to make plays, he did it. He made two back-to-back throws that won him the game. And yeah, he, he has every right to, to do his little three-word chant. You like that. He, he did it. He did it. And now we face the Vikings. And now we face the Vikings. That, I can't believe it. And I have a little bit of concern about this team. I have some concerns, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk to you about what I'm concerned with with this team. What about this team makes me nervous? But first, uh, let's take a quick break and hear a word about our sponsor, the Arizona Office of Tourism. Let's go, baby. Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the Arizona Office of Tourism. Hey, 49ers faithful, guess what? The season is almost over, but that's okay because it means that baseball is just around the corner. This spring, you can follow the San Francisco Giants, the Oakland A's, or your favorite baseball team to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. Arizona offers a -a one-of-a-kind spring training experience. 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in Greater Phoenix within 50 miles. You can meet the players and get autographs before games. Maybe you can meet Madison Bumgarner and tell him how much we already miss him. Bringing the kids along to spring training? No problem. Family-friendly resorts and hotels offer plenty of funds for kids of all ages, from water parks to horseback rides to games and activities. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. That website, one more time, visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Raymond, so here's what makes me nervous about this whole thing. I just don't want what happened to the Saints to happen to us. I don't want us to look at Minnesota and think this is going to be a cakewalk. I don't want the 49ers to think they're going to destroy this team. It's going to be so easy and blah, 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 blah. I want this game to be complete domination. I want the 49ers to impose their will on this team. I want us to destroy this team and leave no doubt in anyone's mind who the number one seed in the NFC is. That's what I want to happen. I want us. I want Kyle Shanahan to have these guys so prepped. I want that defense, now that they're healthy, to be so ready and on the tack. I want Kirk Cousins to get sacked six times. I want this team to do what it was built to do. I want us to look like the defense at the beginning of the season mixed with the offense of the end of the season. And I want us to crush this team and tear them apart limb from limb. And I am afraid that that's not going to happen. Make me feel better. Because if I feel this, someone else from the gold cast feels this. I don't see that happening. I think, look, here's the thing. Minnesota, you know, Drew Brees made some bad plays, but they were also not protecting him well, and the Saints couldn't stop the Minnesota running game. But, cause it, but, it, but if you do stop the running game, 
life for Kirk Cousins gets a lot harder. It's a little bit different. I think Jimmy G's a better. I think he's a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins, despite him playing in the league longer and having more experience. I just think that Jimmy G in this offense has really hit his stride in midseason and has really kind of been in a really played at a at a top flight caliber in the second half of the season. And I just if it comes down to a duel, I just trust Jimmy G more than I do Kirk Cousins. And a lot of it has to do with coaching too. That 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 feeling is predicated on the prowess of the coaching staffs that are going up against each other this weekend. And I just think that our schematically, we're just more sophisticated on offense. We're more sophisticated on defense, despite despite being you know pretty straightforward. I just think there's more wrinkles. There's more wrinkles to our team than there is to Minnesota. How many times? Look when. Minnesota had success running the ball and the sweep rights and up the middle and stuff like that. But then there was this weird thing where they just kept pitching to cook on a toss sweep left. They did it like three or four times and none of it worked. One of it almost turned into a fumble, but his knee was down before then. And Minnesota just kept doing it. It wasn't working, but they just kept doing it. It's silly things like that. And, and Kirk Cousins under pressure, you know, he does not have the poise to handle pressure and sit in there and take a hit. If you pressure him and get in his face, he's going to make mistakes. It's not like Jimmy G. There's there's something about, and we've talked about this before on the cast, and he's proved this in multiple games. There's multiple examples of this, where Jimmy G is able to keep his eyes downfield, stay poised, and make a throw, knowing that a hit is probably, he's probably going to take a hit. At, it's it's going to come at the cost of a hit to himself. And Kirk Cousins doesn't have that same poise. He just doesn't. And, you know, he made the good throws in the end when he needed to. I thought Adam Thielen played pretty good. Stephon Diggs was bitching despite the fact that they're winning majority of the I game. I know. That's, come on, man. You got to let that go at that point, bro. It's ridiculous. And it's like, it's like now it's like Kirk Cousins. And I Cousins love Stephon now. Diggs. That's like yeah, my boy. And, and now like Kirk Cousins, it's like, Kirk Cousins is like, now you have to, now you're pressured to get the ball to a guy that, you know, may or may not be open because he's being covered by one of the better cornerbacks in the league that went to the Pro Bowl that year. And it's just kind of, you know, it's it to me, I just think that the Saints did not play their best football. And even when we don't play our best football, we still find a way to win, which is one of the reasons why we are 13-3. and Not to take away anything from the Saints because they obviously had the same record, but I just think that if it comes down to mistakes and overcoming mistakes and overcoming that kind of adversity within a football game to pull out a win, the Niners are more battle-tested and better suited to handle that kind of adversity than the Saints have been. I think we won the last five straight games all in the final two minutes. Well, with the exception of the Atlanta loss and the the Ravens loss and the, uh, what was the other one? The Seattle loss. Yeah, Seattle I said, I'm just talking the last five games. Well, we lost against the Falcons and the Ravens in the last five games. But we were still we still beat the Rams we in the last seconds. We beat the Saints in the last seconds. We beat Seattle in the last seconds. So, you know, we we're three and two in that stretch. But overall, with a lot of the close games, you know, I think we were like five and three or something like that. But 
but that's part of the point. And even even in the eight no first half start, it was very similar too, where we are winning games by blowouts. We are winning games where the offense was throwing picks or fumbles, and we we're overcoming that way through defense. We were overcoming games when the defense was struggling and the offense had to air it out either in a shootout or just air it out more often than they didn't. We've won games where the running game wasn't really clicking and we had to rely more on the passing. We've won games coming from behind. We've won games coming from behind late in the quarter. We've won games coming out of a tie in overtime. So we've just, we've just seen every wrinkle and Kirk Cousins, you know, he's got some jitters. He's got jitters that he deals with. And, you know, he's like, uh, you know, he's not as bad as, say, like, you know, as, as bad as, like, Josh Allen was in the second half of, of that game. Which we'll Oh, man. But, you know, Kirk Cousins, he's got some, you know, he's, my point is he's vulnerable and he's rattable. You, you can rattle him. I think he's much more easier to rattle than Jimmy G because Jimmy G and Jimmy, and I just think we have a little bit more weapons. Look, the, the Vikings running game, it's there's not like a one-two punch there. It's a one punch from Dalvin Cook. And sometimes, depending on Cook's health, you'll see Alexander Madison. That's it. We have three running backs that are all over 544 yards. So we have a one-three punch that we deal with. So it's more dynamic because it's a state-of-the-art running game, outside, inside zone running game. That's just really difficult to read with all of the pre-motion snap and the play action mixed in with play action. We have the better we have the better tight end because we have the most dynamic tight end in all of football versus Kyle Rudolph, who's only who only came on really in the latter, I'd say, quarter of the season. We also have, I believe, a more legitimate one-two receiver. Adam Thielen played a better game this game today, but he's been largely absent for most of this season. He hasn't been himself Adam Thielen of last year. He's been injured most of the time, but he did play well in this game. He he did have a good game. I, I will give him I will give him that. And, you know, he was definitely the leading receiver here. He didn't get the end zone, but he was targeted nine times. He caught seven balls for like 129 yards. So he he definitely outplayed Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is kind of the, you know, I, I would imagine Stephon Diggs is going to be covered by Richard Sherman and Adam Thielen's probably going to be covered by either Witherspoon or Emmanuel Sanders or Kawan Williams. Ma- not where he Emmanuel up. Sanders. You said Emmanuel. I mean, em- Emmanuel Mosley. <laughs> yeah. So, and, but we have, speaking of Emmanuel Sanders, we have Emmanuel Sanders and Devo Samuel, who I think are. And George help- Kittle. Well, I mentioned George Kittle because uh, in comparison to Kyle Rudolph, but I think that the one-two punch of Emmanuel Sanders, who, by the way, has won at the highest level and has way more experience than anybody else in that wide receiver core, but the combination of him and Debo Samuel is a healthier, more versatile combination than Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen, even though Adam Thielen is coming off of a good game. Because Stephon Diggs, I think, it's, Stephon Diggs is... He can move chains, but he's not the same chain mover as, as a healthy Adam Thielen is. Stephon Diggs is your big, big play, deep threat guy. Yeah, That's he's your north-south runner. He's he's Brandon Cooks on the Rams. Yeah. You know, he's that he's guy. Like, he's like a premium version of Torrey Smith is how I, how I would describe him. That's fair. And and I just think and, – and if you look at the receiving yards f- overall for – the Vikings, you know, he's the primary horse there. The next best receiver is Dalvin Cook with like over 500 receiving yards. So their legitimate number two isn't even a wide receiver. It's it's the, the same guy who's getting 
the majority of the lion's share of rushing attempts. Yeah. Which is yeah. why which is why I think your defensive scheme has to revolve around stopping Dalvin Cook because he is he is pivotal in the running game and pivotal in the passing game. And if you take those two things away from Kirk Cousins, he's just going to have a hell of a time getting the ball downfield. I just don't see it happening. If you take out Dalvin Cook, if you let Dalvin Cook hang in there and do what he did against the Saints and get 94 yards and two touchdowns and 24 carry, 28 carries, then then yeah, they've got a legitimate shot at beating us. But hopefully they will not and we will have a full preview episode of that later on in the I know that, that was a pretty the, that was a pretty uh, generous preview you guys already got. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, that was for free. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, all right, Raymond. So let's talk about the other NFC team, Seahawks and Eagles. My God, how many breaks must constantly go the Seahawks way? I hate this team so much. 17 to 9. They Jadavion Clowney, dirty hit on on Carson Wentz, takes him out, and they that still almost— they almost lost to the Eagles. They did. They they did not look that great. They both scoreless in the fourth quarter. But oh my God, the amount of just opportunity that lands on the laps of the Seahawks is insane to me. Marshawn Lynch, as we had accurately predicted, has been a shell of his former self, has not really done anything in the two games he has played. They talked about getting him quote unquote more involved. Don't really know what that means, but Russell Wilson, Russell Just Muscle, means he's going to get bustle. more carries inside the five. Yeah, basically, that's ba- and that's basically always good for at this point. Which you know, I mean, hey, whatever gets you the win. Seahawks win a down and dirty, ugly game, seventeen to nine. What are your thoughts on this game? This was the sloppiest game of all of the of all of Wild Card Weekend. Wild Card Weekend and. To me, it starts with the Eagles, who I really thought had a legitimate chance of winning and almost won with a 40-year-old Josh McCown, who I haven't seen in years. I didn't even know he still played. <laughs> I seriously didn't. I didn't. I didn't because you know I knew there was no Nick Foles because we all know he went to Jacksonville and that didn't work out too well. But so I didn't know who the backup was. And when and when I saw Carson Wentz going out, I was like. This is now going to haunt, haunt Carson Wentz until he delivers because he did not deliver that Super Bowl. He got them there via the regular season record into the tournament, but Nick Foles is the one who led the charge and bested Tom Brady in that championship game and bested him beautifully, I might add, and earned, him spot a starting, uh, earned himself a starting position on another team, even though he just... For some, he's you know he's like one of those players that's like mediocre in the regular season, but in the playoffs for some reason turns it on. You know, like Cody Ross for the Giants. Cody Ross was average, almost below average in the regular season as a ball player, but in the playoffs he was just a monster. He was a he was an Albert Pujols, a Jason Jambi. He was just an insane high percentage slugger. He was just out of control. That's how Nick Foles is. So it's like, you know, what you should do is just get a good quarterback that can get you through the regular season, a serviceable quarterback. And then when you get to the playoffs, you throw in Nick Foles, and then you should have a lot of success. <laughs> but to me, Seahawks, they had no running game because this Eagles defense was depleted, much like, and the, and the offense was hurting. 
But they had no running game. Russell Wilson was the most effective runner on this team. He rushed nine times for 45 yards, and that was that was considered good between these two teams. Although Miles Sanders, I thought, played well, and Boston Scott also played well. And Josh McCown, in the few times that he ran, um, ran well, but didn't run. <laughs> Whenever it came down to crunch time and making a play on fourth down, that's when McCown really seemed to collapse by just holding on to the ball too long, trying to make a play. And then when he did decide to run, it was too late and his 40 old legs couldn't get him out of the pocket to save his life. But yeah, this game, it was inconsequential. So I kind of enjoyed it. It was annoying to watch the Eagles lose, but it was still like satisfying to watch the game, knowing that we weren't going to face them as the first opponent off of the regular season that we would get a a fresh, you know, a new look, at a different opponent, and then possibly see them again. I don't think we're going to see him again. Other people think either. differently, but I don't think we're going to see him again. I think, uh, despite the history between them and Green Bay and what's happened in the past, I don't think that repeats itself this time around. I just think the Seahawks will run out of their stupid fucking luck uh, this, <laughs> this weekend in Lambert. Pardon our French Arizona uh, Office of Tourism. Yes. But go ahead, as you were saying. No, that was, that's it. I, I think their their luck runs out, and this game was ugly from top to bottom. Carson Wentz now is going to have a now officially has a monkey on his back, where he just for some reason just is too soft when it comes to playoff time and is not able to keep himself in there. So we'll see how. He's a really hard time going a full season. Yeah, well, his problem is he plays recklessly, and when you know when you're missing as many pieces as the Eagles are. Carson Wentz's mentality is, you know, take it all onto my shoulders and I'll try to do it, even though he's not capable of doing that. No one player is, uh, but that's just how he's wired. And uh, it and coaching needs to rein that in and develop some better techniques if he decides to go off script and run on his own because he's not as, you know, he's not as big as like a Cam Newton or something like that, you know, who can take devastating, took a took plethora of just brutal hits that have finally caught up to him but because of his size was able to sustain a lot of crazy hits for for a long time you you thought i thought he was going to snap in half but you know he's so damn big and strong that he overcame majority of those but you know it's finally caught up to him where he's going to have to figure out a different style of play because that that style isn't going to work and there's no guarantee that carolina is going to do bring him back although Kyle Allen really tanked out the latter half of the season so I don't know if they're completely sold on him maybe uh maybe maybe Tom Brady ends up there but we're getting ahead of ourselves maybe let's 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 breeze through uh what was an exciting game but in the end pretty inconsequential for for us uh and and just I think inconsequential to the greater Playoffs of laws. Bills Texans. I think the best play, of course, was the double. Uh, the the two defenders for the Bills literally sandwiching uh, Deshaun Watson, and then Deshaun Watson spinning out, and somehow he's still on his feet, and he rushes down to get them into field goal range, and the Texans kick a field goal, and they win twenty two to nineteen in overtime. A very exciting game. Uh, as far as just you know the 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 level of play was not the highest, but it was an exciting game and Deshaun Watson really really kind of cemented himself as uh, just a force of a quarterback in overtime. What did you think about that final play? 
Uh, frustrating from a technique perspective because you really had him dead to rights and you just kind of let him. He just kind of, I feel like he just dripped off of Deshaun Watson when all he had to do was just kind of stay wrapped. You can still drip off, drip off of a drip off a player if he's that good and that physical, which Deshaun Watson is. But as soon as you get a hold of an ankle, that's it. You know, you you can stop you can stop him, and he they didn't do any of that. They let him roll out on his own off script, and he kept that was fourth. That was fourth down too. You stop him there, that turnover on downs. You got a shot to win. And I thought Josh Allen played well in the first half, but once they fell behind, there was like this, this really just, just this really anxiety panic in Josh Allen where he just didn't seem like he was able to stay poised and the, the, the moment got to him where he wasn't able to rally his team properly. And he had that boneheaded lateral that just didn't make any sense. It's like, Hey, if this was the last play of the game, I get it, but you didn't have to do that. Just go down and then you're fine. You almost gave up the ball in that play. And so I really thought that they were going to win and they really were in a position to win, but the bills, in my opinion, beat themselves. They, they beat themselves and Houston took advantage of that. And they, they, Houston's got a tough game next week that I don't think they're going to overcome, but you know, credit to them for, winning a really uh, a tough game that uh, wasn't easy by any stretch. I mean, uh, Watson was sacked all day long. The, the pressure was there. The running game was actually pretty decent from Carlos Hyde. But so they were they were a little balanced. You know, Deshaun Watson had to run a lot more than I think he was he was liking to, but there just wasn't uh, the the coverage downfield from the Bills was excellent. Here's the thing. The Bills' defense showed up. They were consistent for pretty much the entire game and really forced Deshaun Watson to either run or to make you know contested throws. And some of that resulted, you know, that that resulted in you know some some not so you know there was there was a, a fumble. There was some forced fumbles, a two, couple forced fumbles there by uh, I think it was Mike Adams and Whitney Merciless on the Texan side, and then on the Bills side, I know there was also Tredavious White, the All Pro corner, got a big turnover from DeAndre Hopkins, who hadn't done anything, and then on his like first or second catch, knocked the ball loose. So that, you know, they were just, the Bills were just played, I thought they played a really good game. They had a ton of TFLs. They, I think they sacked Deshaun Watson, what, seven times? So, you know, seven times usually gets you a win. You know, three times, five times usually gets you a win from a defensive perspective. But that's what I mean when I say I think the Bills really kind of beat themselves. Because if you sack Deshaun Watson seven times in any other game, he's not going to come out with a win. And he's not going to come out. He's not going to come out with good numbers. He threw for less than 250 yards, which is not his usual output. He was effective in terms of completion and attempts, 20 for 25, but that was not. I mean, he had to run for his life pretty much all game, and seven times he was not able to do that. So, yeah, so, no. so credit to them, but you know the Bills really disappointed me. I, they they did have the game at, at a certain point. They were up thirteen to nothing in the third quarter, and really could have put the put the Texans away, but just allowed them to keep hanging around and 
And then once they fell behind, Josh Allen just became a, I don't know, he's just like a deer in the headlights. It just, just wasn't working. It just wasn't working at all. No, that, and like, as you know, the, the, yeah, he made a lot of mistakes at the end that and almost cost him the game earlier than, than necessary. Now let's go to the final game and perhaps the game that had the biggest implications league-wide. Titans... As most people predicted, and you and I were not ready to go down with that ship, and I'm still, I still stand by the fact that we did not go down with the ship, the Tennessee Titans do, in stunning fashion, or predictably, depending on who you're talking to, defeat the Patriots 20-13. And now it looks as though Tom Brady may be a free agent, which is... I never thought I would say. What are what are your, some final thoughts on this before we roll out of here? Derrick Henry's the man. He was on my fantasy team last this past season, and he was so consistent. I only I think I took him out of one game due to injury, and the other time I took him out was because of the bye. Other than that, he was an every game starter. And if I was do, you think to, he's going to be the number one draft pick in fantasy next year? There's a good chance. I mean, he, he's he's. He's winning the rushing title this year. He had over 1,500 rushing yards and had like 13 touchdowns. He was just a beast. All He had 182. He was their offense. Ryan Tannehill was 8 for 15 for 72 yards with one touchdown and one pick. Derrick Henry, every, every time every time Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill would like make a boneheaded play, the offense would just go right back to handing off to Derrick Henry. And that's what I kept saying the whole time. I was like, they should, I was like this is, the, the passing isn't working. They just need to throw to Derrick Henry. And they'll be fine because the secondary of the Patriots is just too damn good, but they don't seem to have any answer for Derrick Henry. So if they just let him run the ball and it's funny because they were, they were all on board with that same consensus, but that same strategy. But the problem was you can't give it to Derrick Henry every single play, but, but it was damn near close to it because you just had yeah, to say, but they wanted to try. They wanted to try. You, you had to give they them sure some did. rest. And, and in between those rest plays, you had those throwing plays, which was just ugly. 72 yards from Ryan Tannehill, who's played really well since Mariota got benched. I don't know. By the way, I don't know why Mariota went into the game. Like he went into like, two like one or two plays and like handed off and made a passing attempt it was really weird i was like why is Mariota in the game and why is he throwing that ball for four yards maybe it was their attempt at trying to mess with the patriots uh, who knows who knows but you're not intimidating or confusing anybody with marcus Mariota. in fact you're incurred you're that's that's a good sign if you're a patriots fan you thank god the worst option is in the game perfect so, yeah, I mean, you're just opening the door for like a major mistake and to just end up with a lot of uh, pie on your face. Yeah, and and the, the, the secondary took the passing game out of – so they did the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to take Derrick Henry out of the game and force Tannehill to beat you with his arm. But what they did do was take Tannehill out the game and force Derrick Henry to beat him on the ground, which he did with flying colors. Oh yeah, and so Ray, let's let me ask you, where do you think? I mean, let's let's not bury the lead here, uh, you know, because we I don't think Tennessee is going to get much further than next week in the divisional round. I think I'd be very surprised if we didn't see the Chiefs and the Ravens as the last two teams standing. But we'll talk about that more on our preview episode. Let's talk about Tom Brady and where does Tom Brady go? I I personally think. His best option is to go to the Indianapolis Colts. I think they're the team that's 
the closest to being one quarterback away from being elite. Now, I don't really know if Tom Brady has the ability to still be elite. I mean, I think he he definitely needs some weapons and and a, a better offensive line. And I think there's probably still some juice left in him. I, you know, he's definitely not the quarterback he once was, but I also don't think he's Peyton Manning in his final year where Peyton Manning could barely move. So what do you think? What do you think is uh, there's Los Angeles Chargers and also Carolina That's Panthers have been thrown out there. That's what I think. I think the best market so, is the Chargers. I just don't know if, you know, if uprooting his family and bringing him to LA is, is something that, you know, they're all going to be on board with because at this point they've been in new England, his entire career. They're super settled in over there. I don't know how old his, how old his kids are, but um, I just know that, you know, you can either stay on the East coast and just move, you know, laterally, or you can go across the country and, you know, make a much more dramatic shift and join California. I, I just, I don't, you know, because and the only reason I say that is because there's a lot there's a lot of legitimate weapons on that San Diego offense. They just need to get the defense in order. But you've got Austin Eckler. I don't think Melvin Gordon's gonna be back, but if he was there, that would be another option for him. He has Keenan Allen, who's a great receiving threat. You have Mike Williams who wasn't able to put up the ten touchdown performance that he did last season, but still came on strong in the second half of the season, was able to kind of come over some injuries and play play to the level that everyone expected him to play. Just it, it was just too late, too little too late by the time he came on. So you've got some legitimate options there. You just have to, you know, you have to decide, you know, he would just have to decide whether that's the right option or whether another option, you know, I don't think Jacksonville's an option, although that would be a nice one if it was available. I think Indianapolis is a... Indianapolis is one of the best offensive lines in football, so that's not a bad choice. You have Marlon Mack there, who's you know a legitimate number one back. You've got T.Y. Hilton, but outside of T.Y. Hilton, you've got the same issues that New England had all season long, so that would need to be addressed. And I don't know if he would want to go to a situation where the receiving options are just as dismal as where he was outside of Julian Edelman. And T.Y. Hilton, by the way, is in his twilight years. So, you know, you know, I think I think T.Y.'s got more juice left in the tank than Tom Brady. But I think here's here's the other caveat I want to throw into this conversation, which is I think no matter where Tom Brady goes, whether it's to re-sign with the Patriots on a one year lucrative deal or to sign a lucrative one year deal elsewhere, because, you know, multiple teams are going to say, hey, that, you know, that price tag, I'm OK with that price tag for one season, uh, you know, a. Uh, uh, you know, a go for broke type of one year deal with uh, Tom Brady. I think a lot of teams are okay swallowing that pill since it's just a one year rental, most likely. But I think that no matter what, who the team, who the suitor becomes, I still think he's going to, you know, quote unquote, fall off the qu- cliff at age 43. I just don't see him. I don't. S- Again, like like you and I spoke earlier today, I don't care how much TB12 he absorbs or injects or ingests. I just don't think it's enough to overcome, you know, age. I, I just think that he's going to fall off the cliff next year no matter what. No matter what, it's not going to be a good scenario. It's not going to be enough 
to keep him going. And I think he's going to start to look like, you know, the Brett Favre's, the Kurt Warner's, the guys who, the, the Warren Moon's, the Peyton Manning's, the guys who played into their 40s and just really kind of took a nosedive. Yeah, I think he's basically there already. I think he's about once, I think the next season is you'll see the last of the juice and it may, that most likely won't be enough either, you know? Yeah, I mean, he threw for, he threw 37 times. 20 completions he missed 17 throws that's a lot and he threw a pick too uh and i just think there was a lot of pass deflections uh by the uh by the tennessee defense too they played pretty well against the pass they took out julian edelman because that's the only legitimate bona fide option he's got and everything else was really You know, they had seven pass deflections out of that secondary, including two by former 49er Tremaine Brock, who whose jersey says Brock Sr. in case you you didn't recognize him. But Tremaine Brock plays for that team and he, you know, had some big pass deflections there in key moments. And I just think that I just don't know if the Patriots get on board. I mean, you know, as Patriots fans and as Bill Belichick fans, you know, it really kind of puts the Jimmy G trade into perspective because that really was the future that Bill Belichick had in mind. And now there's really nothing he can do about it. He's got to start from scratch. And I don't think that the the backup option they have there is the future that he had in mind. So I think they're going to have to start from square one or put their hopes in developing that young man if Tom Brady doesn't come back. Well, that's the thing, right? That the if Jimmy G ends up hoisting the Lombardi Trophy this season, which Oof. is very much a big possibility. God, if you're Bill Belichick, you've got to for sure. you've got to be pissed. You're like not. I had I was forced by by uh, Robert Kraft to to trade him because Tom Brady wanted him traded, and so we did it. I, I pacified my forty plus year old quarterback. Now he's gone, and now that quarterback is raising a trophy in a different in a, on a different team. Excellent, well done. And now here I am w- with my balls in my hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, Arizona Office of Tourism. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was quite 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 the uh, quite the uh, quite the bummer if you're if you're Bill Belichick. But you know what? I don't feel bad for him because just about every year they're caught doing some shady ass cheating thing anyways. So guess what? How you like them apples, Bill? There we go. Yeah, Tampa Bay Karma's traded yeah, Tampa Bay traded Steve Young and then they went with uh Vinny Testaverde and, you know, eventually Trent Dilfer. You know, how'd that work out? Exactly. So there you go. But anyways, we any final thoughts before before we uh before we end this episode? I'm really happy that the path to the Super Bowl got a lot easier for us because, you know, health is health is really one of because I think we have the team to do it. Health is really the only hurdle that I see getting in our way to prevent us from getting there. I agree. And I also am happy that it opened this way because we've earned it. This is the right of the one seed. You earn it. You earn it by going into New Orleans and beating New Orleans, going into Seattle, beating Seattle, destroying Green Bay, taking all the comers, taking all the opportunities, and winning the games you're supposed to win. The 49ers have earned the one seed, and it is delivering to us what we expected, and it's a great feeling to have that. 
right now. It's awesome. So I agree with you. And yes, health is the most important thing. So the faster we can get healthier, the better. So I agree. And so we'll be back later on in this week. We have a top 11 podcast that's going to be coming out uh, in a couple days here. Top 11 greatest Bay Area teams of all time. And then we will be back with our preview episode. So excited to preview all of the divisional games, not just the 49ers game. We will be previewing every single game. The divisional round is my favorite round of professional football. It's my favorite week. It is the best of the best. It's the monsters, thus the toughest teams left in the league. And then, of course, that leads on to Championship Sunday. But the divisional round is my favorite week of football. So we will see you back here in just a couple days with that Top 11 podcast, our next Top 11 list. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the Voice of the Bay. Thank you so much to the office, the Arizona Office of Tourism for sponsoring this episode. Please go check them out. Yes, thank you big time. By the way, in, in case some of you are not familiar with the Cactus League participants, because there's two leagues, as some of you baseball fans know, there's the Grapefruit League and there's the Cactus League. So that will include the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Reds, the Indians, the Rockies, the Royals, the Angels, the Dodgers, the Brewers, the A's, the Padres, the Mariners, the Rangers, and our very own San Francisco Giants. So it's a really great list of teams. Get yourself out there. Make sure you go, through, if you plan on going, go through the Arizona Office of Tourism. Let them know the Goldcast sent you. And uh, we will be back very soon. I'm your host, Rudy Suisse III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the first, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast.